Hello, I'm E. Rosalie, a public health biology graduate student at the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. The views expressed in this article reflect only me and are not affiliated with any other person or institution. While I make every effort to share the best information, please do keep in mind that I am a graduate student and if an expert, an infectious disease epidemiologist or other public health professional contradicts what I've said, please do defer to them and send me the information so that I can make a correction. Aside from that, if you have any questions, comments, any headlines you've seen that you'd like fact-checked, please feel free to comment or write me. And happy listening. This post addresses the most common headlines or quotes sent to me in the past week or two. While there are people in public health with a far deeper understanding of infectious disease, claims like these I can handle. This address does not rise to the standard of an academic journal, nor contain enough detail to interest an expert audience. If you're a no-nonsense human being who just wants to know what to make of headlines and claims floating into your social media feeds, this is for you. I've simplified so as not to confuse or burden readers with information not needed. There are exceptions to almost everything, so please keep that in mind. 1. Death rates are going down. Death rates depend on who you test, so they don't necessarily have meaning without context. Early in outbreaks, testing favors the severe cases. Basically, it's hard to miss sick or dead people, and easy to miss people who don't require care, or who show no symptoms. As a result, the proportion of serious and fatal cases inflates. Personally, I suspect the true death rate to be somewhere between 0.5% and 1.5%. I am not an expert, only one in training, so take that for what it's worth. The estimate, I mean, the other stuff is legitimate. See the text linked in the description for the graph from the excess death cause of death study. So is the death rate going down? If you mean, are death rates for other diseases going down, the answer is no. All cause deaths far exceed what we should see. I doubt anyone knows for sure whether the death rate for COVID-19 has changed compared to when it first appeared. It's probably a little better than when we began, because we're better at finding cases and have some idea of how to treat it. The danger is in looking at a graph or comparison and imagining it can tell you anything with certainty, without context, and without experience. Biostatistics, if it was so easy as looking at a graph, would not pay handsomely, nor would it require extended study. Keep that in mind. 2. More tests equal more cases. If you test more people, you will detect more positive cases. You have the same number of cases either way. If you test and find infected people who then isolate themselves and tell people they exposed, you can reduce spread. More tests mean we identify more present cases, which can mean fewer cases later. This only happens if we use the information to slow the spread, though. Massachusetts is an excellent example. They had some of the highest rates of testing and still do. They have seen positive tests go down. If they also saw hospitalizations go down or some other indicator, that might say the cases are truly declining. See the graph showing four states linked in the description. That brings me to my next point. 3. Percent positive is going down, so that means we're testing enough people and the cases are going down. 
at the beginning of an outbreak, the percent of people testing positive may be higher for the same reason, the death rate can inflate in the beginning. Do you test people who show up feeling sick? If it's a new virus, the testing requirements themselves may prevent mild cases or uninfected people from getting a test. Testing criteria may specify symptoms only seen in more serious cases. In the coronavirus's case, the U.S.'s initial testing restrictions were strict. Much to the chagrin of public health experts, testing did not loosen until March 4 through March 9, at which point the virus had already spread like wildfire for over a month. The restrictions restricted the testing to a group that was far too narrow. This is why we should see more excess deaths from other causes early in the pandemic and less of it as we get better at finding cases. Depending on circumstances, broadening testing could lower the death rate and the percent positive without the true values changing. If you're testing groups of people who are less likely to be infected then the positive test percentage should decline. People who aren't sure if they're sick, people exposed but who show no symptoms and others getting tests all dilute the severe and fatal cases. The actual positive percentage may not truly change. Percent positive can massively inflate if you restrict testing to people in contact with a known case who also have symptoms. The requirements to access the test weed out people more likely to be negative. That inflates the percent positive. It tells you nothing about people you haven't tested. Example. If I have 10,000 people, test 100 people, and find two are positive, that's 2% positive test rate. If I tested everyone, I may end up with the same percentage, but I might not. Percentage positive reflects the percentage of people tested who have the virus, but a great deal affects who gets tested. The data does not necessarily tell the percentage of people who have the virus in the entire population. Who gets tested depends on testing requirements, public health communication, availability, and whether testing skews toward the rich or any other demographic. Society and culture can affect this significantly too. Let's say in the example with 2 out of 100 people testing positive, that I test the other 9,900 and find they are all positive, that wouldn't happen, unless this the love child of malaria, measles, and gremlins. My positive rate changes, then doesn't it the 9,902 out of 10,000 differs a lot from the percent positive, when it was just two people testing positive out of 100 people. I could make the mistake without intent, but this is also a way that people can manipulate data to inflate or deflate for appearances. The methods used to determine excess deaths and probable cases are over 100 years old. The CDC still uses the method today. Pandemics from 1918 to 2009's pandemic influenza were all assessed using excess death and probable cases. It's more accurate. You'd only decide not to use it if you were inexperienced or wanted an unreliable estimate that was likely to be significantly lower than the reality. Some diseases require close contact or spread in ways that make cases concentrate in one group or area over another. Thus, a higher low rate in one place may say nothing about another location. Tests tell you where cases are, but they don't tell you where cases are not. They also only tell you about the people you tested, so the cases detected don't always say something about how many cases exist in the entire population, or whether you're testing enough people. It depends. It almost always depends on multiple factors. Often, epidemiologists use multiple sets of data to draw a conclusion. Those are just the ones off the top of my head, but remember, I'm not employable as a biostatistician.
That's the moral of the story, ask an infectious disease epidemiologist, very important that it is not just any epidemiologist, nor a medical doctor, unless they have an infectious disease specialization, or a further degree in public health. Many leaders in the public health field have both an MD and MPH. If it was the same material, they wouldn't do both degrees. It's okay not to know everything. No one does, but it is not okay to pretend expertise in one field confers expertise in another because it confuses people and they make unsafe choices with that bad information. If you want more information, I compiled most of what you need to tell, whether a headline even makes sense in an article linked in the text, titled No-Nonsense Americans' Guide to Pandemic Numbers and How to Tell If We Were Over or Underestimating. If you disagree with this information, that's okay please do ask yourself if it's because of your vast experience in biostatistics and epidemiology. Is it? If yes, please let me know why, and I'll post a correction with credit. If it isn't, then you have a firm opinion about something you don't know well. Consider whether someone gave you that opinion, because you probably didn't form it yourself. We tend to look to others on topics we don't know well but we don't always look to people who have reason to know. Ask whether that source was qualified or had reason to want you to think as you do. Just as I would not recommend listening to my commentary on oil changes or legal advice, I would not recommend you lean on the opinions of those with no relevant experience or education. I can tell you what I think about oil changes and legal issues, but if you listen to me, you will have an awful time. The same is true of biostatistics. Thank you for listening to this COVID Q&A session. You can find me on medium.com backslash e.rosalie to comment on the article, or find me on Twitter at NobelPros, all one word. N-O-B-E-L-P-R-O-S-E. Thanks for listening. Origins of Snake Oil the truth about the most famous retracted COVID-19 study.